The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. How's everybody doing this morning? I thought I had a little bit more time to get a drink of water in before the lights hit me. You guys doing well? Who's excited to be here this morning? All right, good. I know I am. I'm pumped to be here this morning. Again, my name is Josh Romano. I'm one of the leaders here at New Song Church, and I am so grateful to be able to share God's word with you all this morning. Um, Our pastors, Pastor Josh and Sarah, they're actually out of town this weekend on a much-deserved vacation with their family. And uh, Pastor Josh asked me a couple weeks ago if I would continue in this battle series And I'm really excited, um, super pumped to be able to do that. But before we get in, I just want to take a moment and honor our pastors. Uh, Most of you out here know we've got great pastors. Pastor Josh and Sarah are phenomenal. And I want to tell you guys a quick story of when my wife and I, uh, we found New Song, because I think it speaks to it a little bit. Uh, Actually, my good buddy Stephen here on the front row, uh, he said, we were about to move to Dallas, and he said, you ought to go check out this church, New Song. And... uh, we were wanting to move to Dallas because there was a church there that we really loved. Uh, really, for about three to four years, we were in the process of going, okay, how do we get to Dallas? I interviewed for several jobs, had a couple opportunities open up. They didn't feel right, and so we said no. And then with the job that I currently have now, there was an opportunity that presented itself, and it was perfect. I mean, it really felt like, okay, God's answered our prayers. And, you know, my mom, of course, I think she was praying heavily against it. Um, and that's where New Song comes in. So we found New Song. And we were going to stay here and be here in kind of the intermediate nine months before we were going to move to Dallas. And after about five to six weeks of being here at New Song, man, we just, we knew this was the answer to our prayers, that this is what, this is what God had in store for us. And so all the excitement that uh, Dallas had to bring and the, the new start that we were looking forward to, uh, we said no and we stayed here. And it's been some of the most life-changing two years that we've ever experienced. And I share that with you guys because I think a lot of you in here can say the exact same thing. This ministry that, that we have here at New Song has been so impactful in so many families. And I share that this morning because that's largely in part of because we've got such phenomenal pastors who steward the word. They're obedient to the will and to the word of God. And it's just, it allows for so much to happen. And so to honor them this morning, I want to do something a little bit different. If we could, could everybody stand to your feet this morning? And I'd love to pray for our pastors while they're gone this morning. So if we could as a church... Uh, Let's just pray over them. Father, we thank you so much for Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah. Lord, we are so grateful for what they mean, not only to this church, but to this city, to this community, and to this state. We thank you for calling them to Oklahoma City. We thank you for this church. Lord, right now, we just pray that as they're on vacation, Lord, that you would just refresh them, Father, that they would be refilled. We pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit over them, Lord. Father, I pray that you prosper them in everything that they do, Lord, in their marriage, in their family, in their finances. Lord, that you would continue to just download wisdom into them. We thank you. We thank you for the gift. They are truly a gift to this city and to this church. And Father, right now we just pray as we get ready to get into your word, Lord, that you would just open up our eyes, that you would open our hearts, Lord, to receive what it is that you have. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. We pray that you do what only you can do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're continuing our battle series, and if you've got your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Peter 5, verse 5, and then also 1 Chronicles 21. We're going to kind of camp out there a little bit this morning uh, as we get this message started. But man, hasn't this been a great series? Have you guys really liked this? It's hard to believe we're at week seven in our eight-week summer series. It has gone by like that, and it's definitely summer. I know you guys are probably happy to be in here where it's cool and not outside where it's like 110 degrees. It's crazy out there. 
Um, but we're excited to be here this morning and we're excited to share this. And so what we're doing is we're looking at God's, what God's word says about certain things that we face. So we're looking at battles that we face. Some of them are pretty obvious. Some of them haven't been so obvious. And we're looking at what God's word says and how we can have victory in that because we can have victory in every battle that we face. Amen. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the title of this morning's message is the battle for humility, the battle for humility. Now understand this about humility. I think that humility, while it's one of the most important battles that we face, it's also one of the toughest battles that we face. Largely in part is because I think the society that we live in today, probably more so than ever before in human history, is full of pride. Full of, we see it in the political arena. We see it in athletics. A lot of us see it in our day-to-day job. And, you know, it's, what do they say? They, they, that, that old quote, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. You've got to do whatever it can to get yourself up to the top. But that goes completely against what God's word says. And so we're almost conditioned, in a sense, to where we grow up and we're just conditioned to be prideful. And I would actually ask this question, I'd like everybody's participation this morning. If you say that you've dealt with pride before, go ahead and lift your hand up. All right, that's most of us. Little secret, I'm going to let you guys know that those of you that don't have your hand raised, uh, you're dealing with pride this morning. <laughs> so you're in the right place. We've all dealt with pride before. Look at what it says here in 1 Peter 5, 5. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Be clothed with humility. It says there that we're to clothe ourselves with humility because guess what? Humility is not our normal nature. Our normal nature is pride. Our normal nature is not humility. You guys all came to church this morning with your clothes on, which is a good thing. I'll, I'll just say that. I don't think you should ever come here without your clothes on. But you've had to make the decision to put your clothes on. Just like you do that, you have to make the decision to clothe yourselves with humility. And I've dealt with it before. I've dealt with pride before. Guys, if you would uh, put that picture of my family up on the screen. So this is my beautiful family. I get to show them off. That's my beautiful wife, Kristen. We've been married for almost uh, 10 years. Uh, she's my better half in, in every way possible. I'll just say that. And then the one in the middle there, that's Addison. She's our oldest. And then Gabby and Elijah. Fun fact about the two kids is, our two girls, is they have the same birthday a year apart. <laughs> one year apart. I remember I came home from the office. Addie was, uh, she was our first. I came home and she was three months old. And Kristen said, yeah, hey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I was like, no, you're not. She said, yeah. So we got, we got two right away. But I share this picture because before we had kids and before we were married, we, we dated. And I'll say this, when we were dating, I knew right away that Kristen was the one I wanted to, to marry. She's the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Now, her on the other hand, she, she didn't know that right away about me. She was a little unsure. So much so that uh, she actually broke up with me. And nobody had ever broken up with me before. So this was unfamiliar territory for me. Never dealt with it before. And she didn't break up with me just once or twice. She actually broke up with me three times. Yeah, true story. I'm not bitter about it or anything, I promise. But I remember the first time she broke up with me, I was thinking about it as I was writing this message. And uh, I was in my car. She called me. I think I was 19 at the time. And she said, uh, she was letting me down easy. She was being real sweet about it. And uh, when she broke up with me, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, okay, I've never, I've never been in this conversation. What do I do? Do I hang up the phone on her or do I ask her why? Well, I asked her, I said, well, why, why are you breaking up with me? And she said, well, there's no easy way to put this. You're, you're kind of prideful and arrogant. And then there was this pause on the phone and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, yeah, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> She'll be back. <laughs> She'll be back. 
Well, I'll let you know a little secret. I had to deal with my pride and arrogance, and then I came crawling back to her, but thank God she took me back. And so uh, we all deal with it. And if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. Number one is pride is the calling card of the devil. Pride is the calling card of the devil. The original sin is pride. Before the devil became the devil, he was Lucifer. He was actually the worship leader in heaven. Lucifer means light bearer. He was actually, his body was made of musical instruments. If you read about him in Ezekiel and Isaiah, it talks about that he was gorgeous. He was a covering cherub. He was, it was his responsibility to leave heaven or lead heaven in worship. And one day, rather than worship God, he took his eyes off of God and he put his eyes on himself. And he was cast out of heaven. He was actually so um, persuasive that he took a third of the angels with him. He took a third of the angels with him. So pride was the original sin. It's the way that he got Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He hasn't changed his structure. He is who he is, and he still continues to attack us with pride. And I believe this. I believe that at some level, pride is the root of every bit of sin in our life. Because pride says this, I don't need God, and I don't need other people. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a story in First Chronicles about King David. And to provide a little bit of context about this, King David achieved many great things. King David was awesome. He, he had victory after victory. And in week one, we talked about David. And what did we learn? That David always inquired of the Lord. He always, he, he waited on God. He didn't move until he heard from God. Therefore, he had his success. He was very humble on the way up. But in this moment in First Chronicles, pride enters into the scene. And look what it says here in verse one. It says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David and I'm Israel. There you go. Pride is the calling card of the devil. Satan stood up against David. And he moved him to number Israel. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered and said, May the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord the king, are they not all the Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be a cause of guilt in Israel? I want to stop right here and just say this, okay? This has nothing to do with pride, what I'm about to say, but it's important. If you don't have good fellowship in your life, if you're not surrounded by people that are telling you you're going down a wrong path, you're going to be in trouble. And I just want to encourage you, Joab is sitting here and saying to David, David, what are you doing? This is not good. You don't need to do this. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a tribe group, if you're not in his group, if you're not in a community group, get plugged in. Because more times than not, if we're around the right people, just like David was, what happens? They let us know, hey, you're heading for destruction. And hopefully our answer is different than David's. If you look in verse 4, what happens is, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Therefore, Joab departed and went throughout all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David. All of Israel had 1,100,000 men who drew the sword, and Judah had 470,000 men who drew the sword. But he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab, and God was displeased with this thing. Therefore, he struck Israel. So David said to God, I have sinned greatly, and because I have done this thing, but now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. So what happened here? David numbered Israel. And if we look at it really, honestly, at face value, you might sit here and say, what's the big deal? <laughs> he just numbered his troops. I mean, is that really that big of a deal? Well, what you got to understand is those troops didn't belong to David. Those were God's warriors. Israel belonged to God. David was the anointed king of Israel. He wasn't the appointed. He was the anointed king of Israel. And so for David to go through and do this, and here's the ironic thing, especially when it comes to the subject of pride, the very thing that God blessed David with, those men, those soldiers, was the very thing that David just ended up using against God. 
You see, he was humble all the way to the top. And every time that he faced a battle or a situation or something that came against, what was his first response? I looked to God because he's my source. But numbering the troops basically said, hey, you know what? Now we're powerful. I don't need to look at God because if I want to go conquer this neighboring nation, I know how many troops I have. And so the question we have to sometimes ask ourselves is this. How much can God bless us with where we won't use it against him? And hopefully the answer is it doesn't matter what God gives us. I'll never use it against him. For David, it was 1.5 million soldiers. And so I want you to understand that this this morning is, and it's in your notes, that we lose our intimacy with God when we walk in pride. We lose our intimacy with God when we walk in pride. Later on in this story, David, his seer, whose name was Gad, which, just a side note, I think that's kind of funny that David couldn't talk to God anymore. He had to talk to Gad. Just, I don't know, it's kind of funny the way that that works, right? But Gad was David's seer, and God had to use him as an intermediary. He had to use him. And Gad showed up, and he said, listen, I'm speaking on behalf of God. David's not talking to God at this point. That intimacy, that relationship they had is severed. And he gives him three choices. And the three choices that David has is this. Three years of famine across the land of Israel. Three months of being on the run from his enemies. Or he's got three days of the wrath of God. Now, those are some pretty daunting choices. And you may sit here and you go... Golly, for for pride. Those are some pretty rough choices. And what he ends up choosing is he says, because God is merciful and gracious, I take the wrath of God. And for the next three days, 70,000 soldiers lose their life. God's serious about pride. God's serious about pride. And the penalty for pride is very heavy. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Point number two is this. God hates pride, and he actively resists it. And you may be thinking this morning, man, God hates pride? I don't think God hated anything. God hates pride because it absolutely keeps us from him. Understand this, we are the apple of his eye. There is nobody or anything more important to God than us. And the reason why God hates pride is because it keeps us from him. So naturally, if we are the thing he desires most and it keeps us from him, he's going to hate it. Look at what it says here in Proverbs 6, verse 16. It says, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. At the top of the list of things God hates, a proud look is listed. And this isn't talking about like a, a, a smug look on your face or something like this. It's talking about the condition of your heart. It's talking about the posture of your heart, the way your heart looks, the lens in which you view things. God hates pride. Look at what it says here in James 4. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom, and humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. There is so much packed in this. There's two things in here that I want you to see this morning. And the first one, I'll give you some encouragement, because I know we've been, we've been hitting on some pretty tough stuff this morning. But God's word says here, when we humble ourselves, we get the grace of God. The grace of God is so important that we have grace. God's promise is, is when we walk in humility, we receive grace, and we need grace in our day-to-day walk. We need grace to help us defeat sin. We need grace to help us overcome the things that we face. Grace is important for us to have. And God's word says this, you humble yourselves, and I'll give you grace. But what it also says is this, God resists the proud. 
And God's a sweet God, but understand this. The word resist there is not a passive resistance. So it doesn't mean that God's sitting here just kind of playing patty cake with us as we're walking down the wrong road. The word resist there, the actual uh, content of it, or the, the original translation is the Greek word antitasso. And what that word means, it's a military verb, and it means to set yourself in a battle formation against. When God says he resists the proud, what it means is, I am taking a battle formation against, and you will not succeed when you walk in pride. I'm going to tell you, you don't want God taking a battle formation against you. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. And this is parental. So understand this. This is not because God's angry at us or he doesn't want us to succeed. This is because God's a good father. So for you parents in the room, think about it this way. If your kids are moving towards the things of the Lord, if they're moving towards things that are going to put them in a successful position, if they're moving towards things that are good, what are you going to do? You're going to commit as much resource as you can, time, energy, to get behind them and push them towards that because you love your children. You want to see them succeed. But the opposite is true is that when they're walking towards things that are harmful and that will lead to destruction, what do you do? You get in front of them and resist them every way you know how. I am not going to commit resources to you if you're heading towards destruction. Not going to happen. God's a good father. He doesn't want to see us go down that road. And I think to some extent that when we walk in pride, or I'm sorry, that when we walk in humility, that we're relatively invisible to the attack of the enemy. You see, understand this this morning. The devil doesn't have carte blanche over our life. <laughs> he can't just come in and attack us at any given step. We've been given authority and dominion over the enemy. Amen? Amen. But see, what it says here is I think that when we walk in pride, or I, I, that we open up the door and we allow the devil to enter in. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5. We're gonna, we read that at the top of the message, but I want to read on. It says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We read the same thing just a moment ago in James. But it says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's saying here, you walk in humility. You trust God. When you walk in pride, you're not trusting God to do what God wants to do. And here's the, here's the, here's the warning. Verse 8 is the warning, okay? I, I really want you to get this this morning, okay? There's no coincidence that this is talking about humility and pride before verse 8 comes in. Look at what it says here in verse 8. It says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Understand this, that does not speak to ability, that does not speak to the fact that the devil has the ability to attack us. If it spoke to ability, it said he's walking around looking for whom he can devour. It speaks to permission. It says giving him whom he may devour. If I'm going to ask for permission, I'm going to say, may I have this, right? So it's important to understand the words. When we walk in pride, we open up the door and say, you know what, devil? You come in and you can have whatever you want. Pride is very serious. And if you're taking notes this morning... The triple curse of pride, as I like to put it, is this. God resists us. Satan attacks us. And I believe because we lose our intimacy with God, we have no spiritual authority over the situation. Pride's serious. And so you might be asking yourself the question this morning, okay, well, pride's pretty serious. Well, how do we battle for humility? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to go through that this morning. I think the first type of pride that we deal with is very similar to the type of pride that David dealt with here. And it's the type of pride where we take the things that God's blessed us with, 
We take the gifts, the resources, whatever it is that we have, and we say we don't need God. Understand this, whether you're a Christian or not, everything you have in life comes from God. He gave you the brain. He gave you the body. He gave you the intellect. He gave you the desires. Those come from God. And so understand, you don't achieve anything on your own. It all comes from God. All the glory needs to be pointed back to him. And so how do we defeat this? How do we battle this type of pride? Well, we do something that we do really well here at New Song Church. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we do to defeat pride is we worship. We worship. Worship is one of the most practical things we can do to defeat pride. And beyond that, I think worship is one of the most practical things we can do just in general. You see, worship takes us from a, a me mentality. Worship takes me from a Josh Romano mentality to a God mentality. It takes me from thinking about myself to putting all my attention on God. You cannot worship and walk in pride in the same breath. It's like oil and water. They just don't mix. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to read Psalm 103 because it's, it's so good. And I'll just give you a quick warning. It's long. I'm going to read all 14 verses. So don't doze off on me, but hang on to it. It's, it talks about the benefits of what we're reminded of when we worship God. Look at what David writes here in Psalm 103. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David's saying, soul, you don't forget the benefits. You do not forget what it is or what God offers you. That's why we worship. And then it begins to list the benefits. It says, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that you're renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for those who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our transgressions, or I'm sorry, our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great his mercies are towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. Listen, when we worship, we remember that we are nothing without God. But we are everything with him. When we worship, it helps, keep, it helps give us the right perspective. I was reading in Matthew chapter 6 this week and Jesus teaches the disciples how to pray. He walks through the Lord's Prayer with them. And I think most of us in here know that it's, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that prayer. What the very end of it, what it says is, is it says this, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Those are definite statements. It doesn't say you have a kingdom, you have some power, and you have some glory. It's yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. When we worship, we remember we don't have a kingdom. We're not doing it for our glory. And it helps keep us the right perspective as we go through life. I, I thought about this this week. When I first started speaking here at New Song Church, um, I was not very good at it, um, and I was, I was actually pretty insecure about it, too. We were, we were joking about it. I kind of sounded like a, um, what do you call it, like an air traffic controller where you can barely understand them. You know, you're breathing real heavy into the microphone. That's not good. That, that doesn't do well for anybody when that happens. But I remember as I got better, and I was humble on the way up, took all the advice, just, okay, hey, I'm, I'm going to get better at this. I'm going to let God work, you know, work through me. And at one point, I remember, I don't know, it might have been a year ago, somebody walked up to me and they said, hey, man, that was really good. That word really spoke to me. And I remember my response was, well, man, thanks. Yeah, I worked really hard on that this week. You know, I appreciate it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, whoa, Josh, pump the brakes. 
Why are you taking the glory for that? Why, why are you? That came from me. Listen, we need to try in everything that we do to point the glory back to God. It is not for us. It is for him. It is for him. And understand this, when we worship, we, it, it changes our perspective. And I want to encourage you all this week. Uh, and we talk about it here often, but if you don't worship in your daily quiet time, maybe in your daily commute back and forth to work, I want to encourage you to worship. Introduce it into your week. Take little moments throughout the day to worship God. It will change your perspective. And we've got a great resource. Our, uh, our Spotify page at New Song People, we've got several different worship playlists. We've got a quiet time one. We've got some of the ones that we do here on Sundays. Excuse me. Use those this week. And I promise you, if you do that over the course of the next seven days, it'll have an impact on your life. Psalm 34 says this. It says, come magnify the Lord with me. When we worship, we magnify God. Now, God doesn't get bigger or smaller based upon our worship. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't grow or, or lose size. But when we magnify God, what we do is we put him under a magnifying glass and he gets bigger to us. So that when we worship and when we go through life, what are we doing? We are looking at life through the lens of a God that can conquer anything. So what, no matter what circumstance, no matter what we face, we know we serve a big God and the devil's little. Amen? Amen. So I want to encourage you, get involved. Get worship into your quiet time this week. Well, the second type of pride that we deal with um, is one that I've dealt with before. And uh, we'll talk about that here in a moment. But I think it's equally, if not more dangerous than that first type of pride. And we certainly see this type of pride very prevalent in society today. And it's a type of pride where we take the things that we have, whether it be our social status, our finances, intellect, athletic ability, and we actually begin to look down on others and we think of ourselves as better than them because they don't have the same opportunities or whatever the case may be. And it really can create a bad situation. You want to talk about how pride can isolate you? You walk in that type of pride. You're going to be isolated because no one's going to be, want to be around you. And so the best way that we defeat this type of pride, if you're taking notes, is we serve. We serve. If you're walking in pride, one of the toughest things you can do is serve. Serving, a prideful heart does not want to serve because a prideful heart says this, I'm better than they are. Why am I going to lower myself actually below them and serve them? And it's incredibly tough. But I promise you this, if you serve, you'll defeat this giant of pride in your life. And I love the story in the Gospels where it talks about Jesus as he's coming towards the end of his life. I want to challenge you this week too. If you haven't gone through, and you can read it in any of the Gospels, and study the, the last few days of Jesus before he goes to the cross, do that. It's fascinating. The character of Jesus as he goes through this is, I mean, it'll leave you with your, your, your jaw will hit the floor. And what happens is, is Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus has come to the end of his ministry, and he's in the upper room with the disciples. And there's 12 of them, and they're, they're having the Lord's Supper. He's instituting communion. He's, he's having the Lord's Supper with them. And as he's doing this, he's very serious. And again, I mean, he's going he's gonna to go to the cross the next day. And he tells the disciples, he makes a comment as he's breaking bread with them. He says, one of you at this table is going to betray me. Now think about that. These 12 guys have followed him for the last three and a half years. They have seen every good thing that he's done. They've seen the miracles performed. They've heard him speak. They know he is who he says he is. There's no doubt about it. They've seen it take place. And yet he's telling them, hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. And rather than the conversation shift to one that goes, okay, we, we need to be a little somber. We need to 
you know, kind of, you know, I guess you could say lament in that situation, the disciples begin to have a conversation that they had quite frequently. And the conversa- conversation that they had at the table was, which one of us is the best? These 12 guys are sitting at the table with Jesus, okay? Think about it. They're sitting at the table with Jesus. Now, this is, I'm going to make a statement here, and it's grossly underrated. It's like me going up to Michael Jordan and being like, hey, bud, I'm pretty good at basketball. <laughs> and he's like, okay, great. Do you know who I am? They're telling, they're, they're going, okay, which one of us is the greatest? It could have been really easy for Jesus to just have, I guess what you could say is a, a mic drop moment. Stand up and say, conversation's over, guys. It's irrelevant on which one of you is the greatest. Have you been absent the last three and a half years? Why are we even getting into this conversation? And he's about to go to the cross. I, I got to imagine that it's just, it's got to almost be a grieving situation. But rather than have that conversation with him, rather than say something that I even believe would probably be justified, what's Jesus do? He does one of the greatest pictures of serving in all of the Bible. And I'll give you a little bit of context here. You see, in this time, uh, they didn't have, you know, like the, the tennis shoes that we wear today. Or they didn't have paved roads or cars. They, they wore sandals. And so they would walk everywhere. And a lot of the times they'd walk, you know, for several days before they came to a spot to where they would rest or settle. And so their feet would be disgusting. I don't like feet. Feet are nasty, right? <laughs> I think if you like feet, you're, there's, there, that's a different sermon. But feet, so it was the lowest servant's responsibility to wash the feet as they would come in. And it was customary in the time to, by the front door, we'll just say there was a table like this, by the front door, and there would be an empty basin sitting here, and there'd be a jug of water sitting here, or a pitcher of water. And it was customary when they would come in that the lowest servant would dip the feet of those that were coming in to eat, and they would wash the feet, and they would go on. And I, I can almost guarantee this, the disciples all probably walked by that table as they entered into the upper room. And nobody volunteered to wash anybody's feet. Nobody said, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll get it. I'll take care of it. Nobody even volunteered to wash Jesus' feet. So in the midst of this conversation, what's Jesus do? They're arguing over who's the greatest. He gets up, walks over there, and I can't even begin to imagine what the sound of that water hitting that empty basin would have been like. And one by one, he washes the feet of each of the disciples. And it really is a perfect picture of what actually takes place at the cross because each time he would wash the feet all the dirt and everything that would be left over, he would throw that out, refill it with clean water, and move to the next disciple. But Jesus is sitting here and saying, it doesn't matter how great you think you are, serving is the most important thing that we can do. You are not to try and elevate yourself. Let me take care of that. You need to serve. And I share a lot of this with you guys this morning because I've dealt with pride in my own life. Uh, I know we kind of joked about it at the top of the hour, when, or top of the message, top of the hour, top of the message when uh, Kristen and I dated. Um, but you see, when Kristen and I got married, um, well, when we were engaged, when we were engaged, I was in the military, I was in the reserves, and uh, my unit got orders to deploy overseas to the Middle East. And so we got the orders, we kind of started to figure out what was going to happen, and um, we got married, and three weeks later, I, I deployed overseas, and I was gone for 11 months. And so the first 11 months of our marriage was spent apart after we'd been married for three weeks. 
So you can imagine, you know, what, what that can do and, and how tough that can be. But I was really fortunate because when I went over there, I, I was one of the few that had access to a phone. And I was able to talk to her once in the morning and once in the evening. I couldn't tell her what we were doing over there. <laughs> Sorry. And so all we could talk about was what her day was like, and we could dream. And boy, did we dream. We actually had somebody that was, you had to have somebody listening on the other end of the phone. Because if you said anything that was compromising, the phone would hang up. And so, again, there was very little things that we could talk about. And so what we talked about what life would be like when I got back home. We talked about what it would be like to have kids. And I was going to work with my dad. And we dreamed about it because we were looking forward to it. And at some point during that process, my heart filled with pride. And I think it's because as I walk through and I begin to talk to others and share my dreams and share my opportunities, they didn't have the same ones. And I begin to look down on them. And I came back home very prideful. And I went to work for my dad. And what we thought was going to be a dream became an 11-month nightmare. I was terrible at it. <laughs> I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. If you're going to do a commission-only job and you're not good at it, you're not going to make any money. <laughs> it actually started to cost me money because I had to pay insurance. And so what would happen is, when you don't make commission, you've got you to write your own check for it. And so we were actually going in the hole. And about two weeks before I went into my dad's office and quit, he, he told me, he said, hey, there's a customer that we have a 401k for. They've got some new guys that want to be on the program. Go meet with them. Anything that comes out of it, you get to keep. And so I put my suit and tie on, walked in there, thinking I was a hot shot, broke, prideful, arrogant, and these men came into the room. It was an upstairs room, a conference room. And there was probably 10 or 12 of them. And they were probably in their 40s, 50s. And they had no clue about retirement. Unprepared, no idea. And rather than use it as an opportunity and look at it as it going, man, I really get to help these guys understand some things. I looked down on them and I said, I'll never be like that. These guys are unprepared. How in the world could you get to this point and not be prepared? And of course, I didn't get anything of it, and why would I? Because of my attitude. And I went and quit working with my dad. And I called a buddy of mine who I worked for in high school who had an irrigation company. And I said, hey, man, i got to have a job. Kristen was pregnant with Addie. Our marriage was not in a good spot, and we were broke. And he said, well, it's, I don't have anything here, but I've got a construction company, and it's going to be general labor, and you're going to make minimum wage. And I said, it doesn't matter. I've got to have something. So the first couple days, I go in, we do the onboarding process, and the first job they sent me out to was a job called Possum Creek. I'll never forget it. It was in Oklahoma City. It was a four-story building, and they said, what we want you to do is when you get there, we want you to pick up trash, and you're going to follow behind some contractors that we have out there, and you're going to pick up their trash. And maybe some of you know where the direction of the story is going, but when I got out of my car and I walked up, the trucks that were in the parking lot was the contractor that three weeks prior I was sitting in their office looking down on them. 
saying I'll never be in their shoes, and now I'm walking behind them picking up their trash. It was as tough a moment as I think I've ever experienced as far as, man, you want to talk about ego and pride? <laughs> and I wish I could say this, that immediately I began to say, you know what, this is a struggle, and we're, I'm going to fix it. But it took some time. And thank God that Kristen, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, I've been able to get through that and work on that. And here's what I want you to understand this morning. And this is the sweet part about this story. As we were reliving this and as we were talking about it, I felt like what God was saying is, listen, listen, son, those dreams that you had, that that I have for you that you're going to step into, those are from me. Those are from me. But I could not let you walk into it if you were going to be prideful. And what I want you to understand is maybe this morning you're dealing with pride. And here's the, here's the hard thing with pride. Pride says, I'm not dealing with pride. <laughs> That's the unique thing about it. But I want you to know this. Some of you, you are on the doorstep of walking through the threshold of the dream and the destiny that God has for you. Yeah. I would say this. If you feel like you're hitting roadblock after roadblock, hurdle after hurdle, you know, maybe the enemy is not the one that needs credit for it. I'd examine your heart and say, is that God resisting me because of pride? And here's the, here's the good news, though. You can defeat it today. We can defeat it today. If everybody would, would you all please bow your heads this morning? Father, we thank you so much. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us, God. Lord, we just, we kind of sit here quiet this morning, Lord. We just ask that you would speak to us. I'd like to ask all of you a question, and we ask it every week here at New Song, but what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? What's God saying to you? And maybe if you, if you haven't been in church in a while, I would just say this. What are you thinking? Because that's the way God, that's the way God speaks to us. And if you're dealing with pride this morning, if pride is something that you face, if pride is a giant that's in your life, listen, you can have victory over that today. God wants to move from a position of resisting to a position of prospering in your life. That's who he is. That's in his nature. But it's going to take a step from you. It's going to take you taking a, a, a humble step towards him. He's not going to come chasing after you. We talk about the God and they're, they're gentlemen. God is a gentleman. He's not going to come where he's not invited. And so I would ask you this this morning. If you would say that you deal with pride, I want you to take a humble step, and I'd like you to, to look up at me and raise your hand this morning. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Praise God. We got hands going up all over the room this morning. I tell you what, if that's you this morning, would you hold your hands out like this? I want to pray with you this morning. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that there's no battle, there's no giant that we face where you don't give us the victory to defeat it. And right now, Lord, I pray for everybody with their hands out, Lord. That as they seek you, as they go after you, as they humbly go after you, Father, that you would move from a position of resisting them to a position of prospering them, Lord. I rebuke what the devil wants to do in their life in Jesus' name this morning. I say the devil has no authority over them. 
And in Jesus' name, we release humility over them. Father, I pray right now that you would surround them with people in their life that will help them in this area. I pray that you give them the humble heart to go after you, to serve, to worship, and to defeat this. And Father, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.